Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host, and I am very excited about today's episode, and I hope that you are too. No guessing here. My guest today is the 2022 Tour Divide winner, Sofian Sahili. And this conversation takes place the morning after winning the Tour Divide at Jeff Sharp's house, uh, just there in Hachita, New Mexico, at what is lovingly called the Bike Ranch. There's a lot to unpack here with this episode and the ones forthcoming. Let me take a moment to set the stage real quick. I have been teasing for years on this podcast that I have a dream of being at the finish line for the Tour Divide and being able to meet and interview whoever happens to be there. I made that a priority this year, but my schedule is kind of fixed. And so I had a window that I could make it and I didn't know who I'd be able to chat with, who was going to be there, who would finish in time and all that jazz. And so I spent the last part of the tour divide, uh, at least Sofian's tour divide, just really dot watching, trying to time when he'd be finishing. And so I could leave Texas and make the 13-hour drive to the border of America and Mexico in Antelope Wells, New Mexico. So I watched the dots studiously, and uh, when I thought it was appropriate and I had plenty of time, I set my car in a westerly direction, and um, I made it to the finish line to meet up with Sofian but I was like 15 minutes late because the last day he averaged about 17 miles an hour and uh, yeah, just was riding like a banshee. So I kind of missed him actually finishing, but I got there right at the end and it was incredible to be there. And, you know, for people who've never been to the end of Tour Divide, it is remote. You know, after turning off the main highway of I-10, it's a good hour and a half drive on a very remote road that meanders through very sparsely populated areas. And I mean, very sparsely populated. The most populated area uh, is a Hachita, um, and there's a food mart there. And that's about 45 minutes from the border by car. And it is populated with only 40 people. So we are talking very remote. And I didn't know what to expect at the end of the Tour Divide, especially with Sofian finishing. I thought there would be a pretty large crowd. It turns out there was it was me, a couple of Germans that were uh, doing some filming um, that stirred up a little bit of controversy on this year's Tour Divide. And I guess it's worth mentioning real quick. Those guys were great. They had a friend that was doing the Tour Divide. They're not cyclists. They know, don't know anything about bikepacking, but they have a friend that was doing the Tour Divide from Germany, and he mentioned it to them, and they had some holiday. And they were like, hey, why don't we just go and we'll make a film about this route? And um, they had no idea what they were walking into. Uh, they didn't have any idea what a big deal this was. They didn't know anything about the media controversy or anything like that. But they were there at the finish line. And then uh, they were also there at the bike ranch, you know, for a few days. And I got a chance to chat with them and and everything. But um, that's a little bit of a tangent. But they did stir up a little bit of controversy. But And actually, I was at 
the bike ranch when Matthew Lee was chatting with them. <laughs> and, um, they were kind of explaining what they were doing and all that stuff. But I, I think it was fine. They weren't covering any particular person. They weren't sponsored by anybody. They're literally just two guys from Germany that thought it would be fun to pick up a camera and uh, do this as a vacation. And I think that is cool. And they were also awesome guys, and I look forward to uh, seeing whatever they produce from this. So they were at the finish line. Jeff Sharp, another Jeff uh, that lives in Hachita, and some other locals were there. There was a cyclist who had rode down from Patagonia, Arizona, to be at the finish line. I would say there's about eight to 10 people there. Um, not a whole lot of people, not a lot of fanfare, but Sofian got a lot more fanfare than Manu or Adrian. I went and picked up both of those guys who finished second and third, and I was the only one there. So it's just a wild, wild place. It's a funny place to have a finish line. So after that, after we chatted with Sofian at the finish line for a little bit, uh, we loaded him up into my car and made the 45-minute drive to the bike ranch that's owned and managed by Jeff Sharp, who is just an absolute legend in the sport and really helps facilitate a lot of things at the end of the race. He just goes above and beyond uh, for these riders, and it's really cool to see how he's bought in and also this little community of Hachita and how they, they're just super bought into the Tour Divide. They're watching the dots. They know who the racers are. It's cool. It's cool. So today's episode takes place the morning after Sofian wins the Tour Divide after an eight-year personal journey. It was everything that I could have ever hoped or dreamed for to be there at the end of the Tour Divide, to hear Sofian's thoughts immediately afterwards, and then getting to drive him for 45 minutes, just me and him in a car and, and chatting with him and, and then getting an opportunity to record this episode. And I shared a bedroom with Sofian. We had different beds. I requested a single, but they didn't have one. It was only a double. So we had to sleep separately, but it's crazy. Uh, you know, as a fan of the sport, getting to hang out uh, with Sofian and Manu and Adrian and other riders that came in, it was a really special experience, and I'm grateful to have had it. So today's episode is going to be with Sofian, and then next week's episode is going to be with Manu and Adrian, who were the second and third place finishers on this year's Tour Divide, and that is what's coming up next week. Before we get to today's episode, let us thank everybody who made it possible, starting with our newest patrons like to give a warm welcome and a shout out to Jeremy Chesler and Huckensawyer, also known as Kevin. This is an excellent time to sign up and be supporting the Bikes for Death podcast. We really can't do these types of trips without support. Nobody asked me to do this, but this is what I want to be doing. I want to be there at the end. I want to be getting the raw, the real emotions. I want to be sticking microphones in people's faces right when the moment is fresh. And to be able to do that, I've got to be able to hop in my little Subaru, take five days off from my life and drive over 2,000 miles. And as much as I love, love, love doing all of that, it does cost a little bit of money. And not to mention that my Subaru made it all the way there. It drove racers to and from, well, actually not to, but from the finish line to 
the bike ranch. And uh, there was also quite a bit of rain and mud and the Subaru performed flawlessly the entire time until we got about 12 miles from my home here in Bryan, Texas. And it started making a lot of noise and radiator fluid was spewing out places. And my mechanic is coming tomorrow to diagnose it. But if you've ever thought about signing up to support the Bikes for Death podcast, now would be a great time. Plus, there is more benefits just for patrons. What you won't hear today is I recorded about 25 minutes of audio at the finish line right after Sofian finished. The group of people that I mentioned were there. We were all kind of just chatting, asking him questions, and I recorded all of that. And so that is available to patrons. And I also uh, recorded like the 45-minute car ride from Antelope Wells to Hachita. It was just Sofian and I for 45 minutes right after winning the Tour Divide, and he was a captive audience. So I took the opportunity to talk to him and get his thoughts and feelings uh, right there in the moment after finishing Tour Divide. So both of those audio files are going to be made available to patrons very soon. Uh, we prioritize getting this interview out to the masses, and then we're going to start working on getting those audio files available to patrons very soon. When else are you going to get to hear from Sofian Sihili literally minutes after winning the Tour Divide for the very first time. So if you want in on that, you can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. You can find out how over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. All right, well, today's episode is also brought to us by my friends over at Quadlock. Quadlock, if you don't know, makes the best phone case and bike mount system in the known universe. Recently, I was on a river trip and I was, of course, documenting it for the internet, which means I had my cell phone out. And uh, at the same time, my daughter decided to drown and I had a choice. I had to either save my phone or my daughter. I thought about it for a moment and then I saved my daughter and I sacrificed my phone. It is at the bottom of the Comal River in New Braunfels, Texas. If any of you out there want to get your scuba gear on and go find it, that would be great. You can have the phone, but just let me have the pictures. That's all I ask. But I was without my quad lock for a good week before they were able to ship me out a new one. And I can't tell you how much I missed it going on bike rides and not having my phone readily available and easily visible for directions and maybe taking off to take a video or something to share with you fine folks. But it really did make me miss my quad lock. I'm so happy to have it back. And if you're not using a quad lock, I wonder why. And I wonder if maybe this would be a great time for you to get one yourself. Tell them Bikes for Death sent you. You can find out all about Quadlock over at quadlockcase.com. The best damn phone case and bike mount in the known universe. All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode and a special thanks and a congratulation goes out to my friend Sofian for winning this year's Tour Divide and concluding an eight-year journey. Now, before we get to today's episode, let's have my friend Miles Arbor take it away with the Bikes or Death theme song. 
You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. I'm learning a lot about you. Mostly that you snore at night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was. I, I, I was hoping you would. You would be really happy to share a room with me for my first uh, first eight hours of sleep after the race. I knew it was gonna be hell for you. No, oh, it was fine. I yeah, it was it. fine. Yeah, you liked the snoring. I like the snoring. I got some good audio clips of it, so we'll <laughs> awesome. we'll just like do nice transitions of you snoring. I You're didn't. The man. I almost did. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it for a second. I wouldn't have mind, actually. Yeah, you're nice like that. I would have got your permission before I posted. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, it's like, you got to be, you said it, you got to be respectful of the audience. And probably no one uh, yeah. really I mean, wants to hear it. You get a, if it's a good joke, it's a good joke, you know. That's fair enough. It was, as a as a fan of the sport, um, yeah, I got to, I got to, I get to hang out with Sofian, man, all the way from Italy, right? That's where you're from. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Roma. <Italy. laughs> uh, I'm kidding. No, it's been. I mean, it's this is like a dream for me to. I've always wanted to come uh, to the end of the Tour Divide and and meet and you know meet some of these the legends of the sport and the people that. Um, even if you're not like super well known, like maybe Manu who's who's coming in like right now, anybody who does this route is a badass. You know, it doesn't matter if you're first place or last place. Like you do this route and you did something. Yeah, for sure. It's just like it, and especially this year with the conditions that, that were so tough and all the all the hiking in the snow at the beginning and then as soon as we, we were done with snow so that's the last patches of snow were uh Togodi Pass and Union Pass in Wyoming and uh once you clear Union Pass you go straight to Pinedale and from Pinedale that's where the headwind started and we had headwind uh through the rest of Wyoming so Pinedale to Atlantic City Atlantic City to to Savory and then yeah Going up to Brush Mountain, it was still actually windy. At It was like midnight, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, how is this a headwind going up Brush Mountain at midnight? And the next day was okay uh, with the Lynx Pass and Radium because it's, it's, it's the way that it's situated is like it's sheltered from the wind, but then it started again the next day uh, as soon as, as, as I cleared um, Boreas Pass. Then it was hell from Hartzell, Hartzell to Salida. And uh, it just died down a little bit um, uh, from Salida as I was going to to Sargent's. And then the next day, going into Del Norte and after Del Norte to um, Indiana Pass again, that same wind. And just just horrendous conditions this year. Very, very tough. Anyone who finishes with... With no matter the time, I mean, what we had to do that was 
That was a divide for the history books. Yeah, you think so? I think so. I mean, I'm not the most knowledgeable person about the the, the past editions, but I know for sure that 2016 was was perfect conditions. Uh, I know that the the year that uh, Josh Cato set that new record in 14 and a half days, those were great conditions as well. The one that I know about that is that was pretty much a nightmare from start to finish, uh, I think was uh, 2014 when uh, Hefe Branham won. This one is infamous for uh, uh, being like very, very rainy and muddy. But I mean, actually, yeah, I would be curious to have the opinions of some uh, Torivad historians. I'm also looking forward to chat with Manu and, and Ben because Manu was then 2018 and Ben was there in 2017. So with the three of us together, that covers 16, 17, 18, and 19. Yeah. And um, yeah, but I think that this one was pretty, pretty tough. It's crazy the amount of weather that you, I mean, over two weeks, you're going to experience a lot of weather and everybody's going to experience it differently. The rain shower might hit right before you get to a section or might hit right after you hit a section and then everybody behind you is dealing with different conditions. But that's just kind of part of the way the race goes. It's just that this year there was a lot, it seemed like there was a lot more inclement weather and wind and, and definitely snow and rain and hypothermia than normal. Yeah, and I think that, that what makes the, the, the divide so special is that it's, it's not only your ability, it's also the, the luck of the draw, you know? Because you can be doing like really well and then it's like gonna rain for 12 hours be before you hit that section that can be muddy and you hit it and you struggle with the mud for I don't know how many hours. And then while you're doing it, the sun comes out and anybody who's behind you is going to have just an easy time going through that road while it's dry. And there's nothing you can do about it. Right. And it's like, yeah, when I, when I was there in 19 and I got hit with that snowstorm um, on, uh, on Meadow Pass after um, Brush Mountain Lodge, while I was there, I was, you know, at the, at the wrong time. It was just a, just a matter of, of timing. And yeah, you can't really anticipate that kind of thing. Something that can kind of freak freak event of, of weather and, and it's going to de derail you. And the fact that the race is so long and the gaps can be so big at some point, 12 hours can make like a world of difference between you get hit with snow or you get hit with rain or you go clear and nothing happens to you. Let's... um. <clears throat> I think it would be interesting. It's interesting to me where we're at right now. Uh, and Jeff doesn't want to get interviewed. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want to set the stage as to where we are? So we are about 40 miles from the border to Mexico in a place that is called Achida. Achida, which is, I wouldn't even call it uh, uh a village. It's like it's... said so there's 40 people that live here. Yeah, it's more like a settlement. Yeah. You know, yeah, 40 people. It's like this tiny, tiny place that sits 40 miles away from the border and uh, 80 miles away from uh, Silver City. 
And I have no idea what, why this place exists, actually, but we are at uh, Jeffrey Sharp's place. And Jeffrey Sharp is uh, what you might call a trail angel. And he's like the closest, uh, closest uh, person that has an interest in the race that lives um, to the border. It's the closest to the border of any person that, that, that has any interest in the race. And so he acts of kind of like a, um, a means of transportation between the border where you finish and you're all battered and bruised and, and you're exhausted and you push and you give it your all and there's pretty much nothing you can do afterwards. And he, he comes in, uh, he picks you up and then drops you off at his ranch and, and you get to shower and you get to sleep and he has some clean clothes and... Uh, and you get to stay there a couple of days and then you're all ready to go. Yeah. He's a great guy. I mean, it, it was hilarious because, you know, you just show up the border. There was like 10 of us there in, in the welcoming party. And this guy, Jeff, that I've never met in my life, he walks, he's like, what's your plan tonight? I'm like, I don't have a plan. He's like, great, you're coming with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's how I ended up here. Is And and it's, it's a cool spot. I mean, he calls it the bike ranch. Uh, in in the room that we're staying in he's got extra clothes yeah he's got toothbrushes he's got extra underwear sandals flip-flops yeah. flip-flops toothpaste everything that you need and yeah. he's cooking us food and making us coffee and watching the dots and uh and he, like matthew lee just called a little while yeah. like matthew lee called jeff to help facilitate a spot tracker because um was it abe adrian that, who? Adrien has, has, has yeah. trouble with his tracker. Yeah, his spot tracker got waterlogged. And so Matthew Lee called Jeffrey to um, go bring him actually your your spot tracker yep. so he can he can get back. It's um, a good deal because it's, it's a fast tracker. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't take into account the uh, the advantage that he would have from, yeah. from using your it spot can, tracker. It could, yeah, it could pass my new in the last. Uh, yeah. Oh, nice. And it's where I don't want to call out Matt. I don't want to get Matthew Lee in trouble. So that is considered neutral support. It and is because it's just a tracker, you know, yeah. and you need it yeah. to to record your progression. And it's and not, for safety. And the other thing is that he is currently kind of in a race for third, I think, right now. Yeah, and so, yeah. And, and, and I mean, definitely it's not, it's not going to give him any advantage to have my tracker. And the tracker is the responsibility of the organization. And the organization, I mean, is the what uh, assures the level playing field. And having a working tracker is something that that is required, and it's not an advantage, for sure. <clears throat> so we're in a cool spot. The end of the race was, I don't know. I thought it was. I thought it was cool. It's crazy because, uh, I mean, you had like three cameras on you. You have mics in your face, lights on you, and everybody's asking you questions and you just finished and you don't even have a chance to really reflect uh, on on what you did. But I know it's a big deal. We've talked about it before. And um, just, you know, so this can be a standalone podcast. I mean, we've talked a lot, but can you give like your brief history of the Tour Divide so that it'll put into perspective kind of how special this year is? So, um, if we go back to the very, very beginning where I got aware of the Great Divide mountain bike route, 
Um, we go back to actually 2011. I was bike touring uh, somewhere in Cambodia. I was in this uh, in this facility that is a community-based tourism, and there was this uh, Lonely Planet book of you know ten trips that you that you can take that are out of the ordinary, and it was my first ever uh, bikepacking trip. And then I I read about the Great Mountain Bike Route. And I was like, wow, this seems so wild, you know, it, like huge spaces, completely empty, just um, hours and hours by yourself riding off road. And I was like, one day I'm going to ride this route, you know, and it turns out that uh, three years later, I, uh, I actually went and, uh, and toured the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route. And at that time, I, uh, I got aware of the fact that it was not only a route, but a race was actually happening on the same course. And I don't know what happened exactly, but as I was riding it and I was hating it at first, and then I was kind of starting to love it, the idea got in my mind that I was going to race it for some reason. Because, um, yeah, it was, as I was, it was my first time actually off-road touring. And I was kind of getting better at it with every day. I mean, it started, it was just ca ca catastrophic at the beginning because I, no, I had no idea what I was doing. I had mechanicals, I had punctures. It took me like three days to get to the border, where, whereas now it takes me like 24 hours. And, um, yeah, I felt that. You know, for the first time I was bike touring and it was really hard, but even if it was really hard, I liked it. I liked, I actually liked the fact that it was hard. And I think that's when I kind of fell in love with the hardship of, of bike touring. And then I was like, what is a challenge that would be even bigger? And I decided that I was going to come back and race it. And I came back a couple of years, a couple of years afterwards in 2016 for my first ever ultra cycling race, bikepacking race. And uh, I made all the mistakes, man. All the mistakes that you can make, I made them. Like I started with new shoes that I had never ridden before that were super stiff. They killed my feet. I started with no game plan, no sleep strategy, very little food. I was like, I was just basically for a week, I was just tagging along with people and doing what they were doing. Like my, my GPS was not working half of the time. And I just, I just went through that first week because of just my natural ability to ride hard without getting tired. But I was like as unprepared as you can be for that kind of race. And... I think I was for a long time around eighth, ninth, or tenth in the positioning, and then as as I was riding, I was kind of getting hang of it and kind of understanding like when you should stop and sleep, where you should stop and sleep, your resupplies, how to be efficient, and yeah, in the second week, I was I was actually you know much much more efficient, much faster. I mean, not much faster in the in the in the terms that I was I was pushing harder on the pedals, but I was just you know 
making good time because I was not stopping as much. And uh, you were learning on the job. Exactly, exactly. And then on the the, the second week of of racing, and I managed to to catch a bunch of people, and and at the end, I got there in third. And um, and just for perspective, that was the year Mike Hall set his record. Yeah, that was 2016, and Mike Hall finished in uh, just below 14 days, and then Chris Blesco took second on the single speed uh, just above 15 days, and I crossed the finish line in a joint third position. It was Kevin Jacobson of Montana in uh, 16 days, exactly. So 20, and then there was 2019. And that was 2019, so I came, I came back with much more experience under my belt because uh, in 17, I raced Trans Am, in 18, I raced in Taiwan, and, and in 19, I raced Italy Divide. And um, I, had, I came back, I was prepared. I had the right bike because the first time I did it on a cross bike was skinny tires, like 40 Cs, uh, no aero bars, like, like definitely not the right setup. Uh, not enough, not enough clothes. And I was like, actually in 16, I was really lucky because we had a good year. Yeah. We had no, almost no rain, no snow, temperatures were good. If it had been like a, a, a cold or rainy or snowy year, I probably wouldn't have finished because I didn't, I wasn't equipped for uh, that kind of, that kind of riding, you know, I was equ equipped for fair, fair weather riding. And in 19, I came back. I was, I, was, I was really well prepared. I had my game plan. I had my experience. And everything went like so perfectly until it all, all came crashing. Up uh, that pass after Brush Mountain Lodge, when I got caught in a snowstorm, I, I spent hours post-holing in the snow, got to the top. Top was like completely white out. My GPS couldn't really find the route because the file was not accurate enough. And I couldn't go forward because I had no idea where forward was. Uh, <laughs> and I just like was afraid of getting lost in that snowstorm, freezing temperature. Um, I mean, I was, I was better equipped. That was definitely not equipped for, you know, just a Colorado snowstorm. And um, I decided to wait it out, get, in my, uh, get into my sleeping bag. Sleeping bag was not warm enough. Started shivering, shivered for a couple hours in a sleeping bag, and then I was like, "Yeah, this is this is not good. This is not. I'm not ready for this." And I decided that I have I've had enough because I'm willing to do a lot of things for the sport and 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 to win races, but I was never the kind of guy that is going to risk his life for something. You know, you only get one. It's uh, it's short enough. And uh, I want to be around for, uh, you know, as long as possible. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, this, this is not what I've signed up for. I've not signed up for, uh, you know, risking my life up, up uh, um, 10,000 feet passes in, uh, in uh, side deep snow, you know. And I was like, all right, it's not, it's not my year. It's going to be someone else's, someone else's year. It turns out that it was uh, Chris Seistrup's year. And he did a he did a spectacular job, and he kept trucking, and he and he managed to get that that win. And it was like, yeah, I'm gonna come back next year. Well, COVID said no. <laughs> I was like, sorry, right, I'll come back in 20, 2021. And COVID said, yeah, no, not yet. And I was like, all right, I'll come back in twenty twenty two. And I came back, and I did the job, got the job done. 
you're tearing up. Does that have to do with the fact that you're just tired or is that emotional? I think it's just it's just uh it's my eye. It's just, <laughs> I think it just your crossed body. my eye. No, no, <laughs> your body's just like tired. Yeah. So what is it about? So that was your last uh, attempt at the Tour Divide was in 2019. Yeah. I know from talking to you that the Tour Divide and winning the Tour Divide specifically is very important to you, but not necessarily the overall record. And it's also worth stating that just for people who don't know, the fastest known time, the overall record held by Mike Hall is not on the table this year due to fire reroutes. So you were never chasing his record this year, but just overall, why is this route so important to you? Why is it important that you win it? Um, yeah, as, I, as I've stated before, I didn't really get into the sport of bikepacking to get into the sport of bikepacking. I got into this, or the, the goal of winning this race. It's like, toward it, I was like, this is, this is brutal. This is awesome. I think I can, I think I can win it. And I want to see if it's possible. And, and that's how I got caught up in being a, a, a bike bike racer, you know, but it was never the end goal. The end goal was always to, to win this one. And I don't even know why actually it's, I'm trying to understand because it's like now I came back and I won it, but I've accomplished so much before because now I've been racing for six years and I have, I've, I have big wins under my belt. Are you proving you don't need this to prove that you're an elite level bike packer? Yeah, exactly. It's like in a way I show up here and I, and I, and I win and people will be like, yeah, we were kind of expecting it actually. <laughs> right. Because yeah, I don't need to prove anything to anyone now, but it's like I owed it to 32 year old me who was touring here and thought, what if we would, what if we were to race it? Because what happened is if we go back to that, to that tour and I'm going to get into the detail here a little bit, please. So I fly to Calgary. I don't have much time. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bike courier with a contract. I have like four weeks to ride across the United States off-road. So I need to get going. So I fly to Calgary, spend the night at the hostel, get on the first bus to Banff, get the Banff. It's probably like noon, buy some food, and then I'm, I'm off on the, on, the, on, the, on the bike, and the idea is to get to Elkford. And um, yeah, I mean, I have no idea what off-road bike touring is. I have no idea how fast or how slow it is. And I'm like, I guess that I can make it to Elkford by living around, you know, 1 p.m., which is actually absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, first day, uh, uh, break my front derailleur, uh, get I don't know how many flat tires, just not ready at all. Miraculously end up in what people that are familiar with the route call Mile 70 Cabin. So it's just a cabin in the woods that is, that is open where you can spend the night. And I was like so glad that it was there. 
it's like one of my fondest memories of bikepacking of like 12 years of bikepacking. Just sleeping in that shack is one of my fondest memories. And yeah, the next day it keeps, keeps getting flats, make it just outside of Sparwood. So very slow progress. I make kind of that mistake where I get to Sparwood, ask them if they have a room in the, uh, the hotel. They're like, no, your best bet is Fernie. And I kind of remember that name Fernie because, and I, I, I read it on the Q sheet, but the Q sheet, the thing is, it's off route. And I didn't check the Q sheet. I'm like, all right, yes, she's right. I'll, I'll get a hotel in Fernie and I keep going. I'm like, I'll get a hotel and I get a resupply. Unknowingly, uh, uh, um, I mean, I don't actually know that Fernie is not on the route. So I get back on my bike, keep cycling, hoping that at some point I'm going to get into that time called Fernie. And I camp out because place is not there. And uh, I'm out of food, you know, I had dinner in, in Sparwood, but then the next day I'll probably have just like one cereal bar for breakfast. And then I'm like, man, I'm really in a hurry. I, I hope I can, I can get to Fernie quite soon, you know. Obviously, I never got there because it's not on the route, you know. <laughs> and I keep getting flat tires because I have, my, my tires are too skinny and I don't inflate, inflate them enough because I, if I inflate them too much, then it's too rough. And at some point, I run out of tubes and out of patches. And I'm like, I'm just stuck outside just stranded, no food. Spot nothing. tracker at this time? Nope. Okay. I just, I'm just by myself. So you're really stranded. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, British Columbia, somewhere between Spawood and the border. And yeah, I've, I have no idea what to do. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to wait because it's, uh, it's, it's going to be dark soon. So I'm like, I'm just going to sleep and see what happens the, the next day. Um, I, I'm lucky that there's a, there's a stream nearby, so I have water. And um, yeah, so I'm super hungry, but at least I'm not thirsty. And then the next day, I just walk my bike on the, on the road, hoping that someone is going to pick me up. And sure enough, after a couple hours, a guy shows up with his pickup truck and he's like, where are you going? Can I, can I drop you somewhere? I'm like, for sure, man. Uh, drop me wherever I can buy some patches or some tubes. And that's how, that's how this whole thing started. And I remember that this guy was an outfitter. He was uh, in his car with his um, nephew. And his nephew started talking about the race. You know, it was like, yeah, you know, that people race this thing. And, and I think it takes them about a couple of weeks to get it over with. And I'm like, it took... It's, I've been out there for three days, and I'm, I'm not even out of Canada. You're not, yeah, you're not even to America yet. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, how in the world is it even possible to make it across the, the, the length of the United States off-road in the Rocky Mountains in a couple of weeks? How is this? These are not human, you know? These are superhuman. I was like, and I was, at that time, I was a good cyclist, man. Right. I was one of the best bike messengers in Paris, and Paris is a big place. I was, 
you know, winning alley cats and doing like big rides. Uh, I mean, training for this, uh, for this uh, tour, I remember we rode like 250K. Um, so that would be like 150 miles uh, from Paris to Lille with um, five or six of my messenger buddies. And you know, I was, I was doing like so many poles and I was just like being really strong and, and, and I got there. And, and then the next day they all took the train back to Paris and I hopped on my bike and I rode back to Paris and actually rode faster by myself than, than the day before. And so I was... Oh, I thought you were going to say you beat the train back. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But, that's, the, say, yeah, yeah. but that's interesting because that's something that you learned in that uh, the whatever 20... Uh, I can't remember. Oh, 2016 Tour Divide, when in the second week you actually got faster. And even when you just won this one, on that last day you were averaging, we just figured out 17 miles an hour on your I was in a hurry to get to that finish man in a hurry to get things done <laughs> yeah so I was I was a strong cyclist in, right. in in 14 it was not I was not like just an inexperienced rookie that had no idea what it was doing in terms of bicycle I was I was a really good fit in shape fast cyclist and here I am and I'm like who are these people who are these racers that are able to ride five times, six times, 10 times as fast as I'm able. Mm -hmm. And like, I couldn't figure it out, you know? And I think that's where it started. It started to be like, don't talk to me about Tour de France. Don't talk to me about UCI Pro. Don't talk to me about, you know, just riding on a, on a, on a race bike with a, with a car that has everything that you need that is right behind you and going to bring you water and, and when and you're done, you, there's a, sports like a whole tank. new bike when you, when you have a flat tire. It's like, here, here's another bike. You just have a flat tire? Sorry, right, here's another bike. Oh, you're done? Here's your sports drink? Yeah. Here's your masseuse? Masse here's your yeah, hotel? Exactly. I'm like, don't talk to me about these people. I don't care about these people. There are, <laughs> there are just superhumans that are out there in the cold and then in the hot, and in the rain, and, and they have packs, and they need to carry everything that they're going to need, and they are riding across the lengths of the United States off-road in the Rocky Mountains in two weeks. And I'm like, I can't wrap my mind around this. I can't wrap my mind around this. It's, how is it possible? And it's like, it really became this question that kept, you know, I had it in my head for pretty much a month writing the, the, the Great Divide, who are these people? I really kept asking myself. That. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, it was because I was a good cyclist, man. I was a fast cyclist. And I was like, how can there be people that are like so much better than me? You know? And it's an ego thing. It's an ego thing because, you, you, I mean, you can you consider yourself quite good and then you realize there are people that are leagues above what you're able to do. And I couldn't, I couldn't let it go, you know? An ego and also make, like a curiosity? Is yeah, I mean, both. Part of it it's, is like, can I do that? Can I yeah, get my it's, body it's, to do it's that? It's both. Yeah. But it's like the first, basically the first rapport that I ever had with the idea of Tour Divide Racers 
is that they were superhuman and I kind of idolized them, you know? And I remember getting to the Brush Mountain Lodge and meeting Kirsten for the first time and having, you know, dinner with her. And I think one of the first questions that I asked her is like, these racers that come here, what are they like, you know? I was trying to picture what a bikepack tortified racer was. And because I had never seen one, you know? And for me, you know, it's, I, this question kept getting stuck in my head. And this is why I was, I was trying to know more about the racers. You know, it's funny. We have the exact same curiosity. I just went about it a different way. I picked up a microphone and just started talking <laughs> to him. And you're like, I'm, I'm going to become one. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, um, as, I, as I kept going... I had less mechanicals. I had less flat tires. I managed to make some, make, make some good, big, big days. Like, uh, if you're familiar with the route um, in Montana, I managed to ride uh, uh, in one day. I started in uh, Lincoln, so and I went up, uh, I think it's, Stemple Pass, and then there's another pass, and then you get to Helena, and then you get up Lava Mountain, and then you, get, you end up in Basin. And I did it as a bike tour, Lincoln to Basin in one day. And as it turns out, most, most racers can't do this. It's a big, big stage. It's like a shitload of climbing, really hard. Um, I mean, the surface... It's really rough. And I was just getting better. I was just kind of getting a hang of it. And as I was doing this, uh, also crossing the basin in one go from, um, from Atlantic City to Rollins, uh, just, you know, doing big days and be like, all right, maybe there's something there. Maybe I can reach that level that... I get to, to race and do good, you know? And then I met my, my first racer ever while I was in New Mexico. Uh, I was in the Gila and I met uh, Shell Money. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> That's nice. It was, it was not far from me because I think he's yeah, still Silver, Silver City. City. Yeah, yeah he's not far mixed at all. Bike. And he was, in, he was in an ITT northbound and I ran into him and I was like, and I knew it was Shell Money and I knew he was doing an ITT. I don't remember how. I don't, but I knew, and I, and I was like, dude, uh, and I asked, I started asking him like the stupidest question ever, <laughs> like, but what do you eat? <laughs> like, what, the fuck? what kind of question is that? Where do you sleep? Yeah. What kind of question is that? What do you eat? <laughs> <laughs> That's what everybody wants to know though. Yeah. That's why he's like, and I think he, he answered something like, well, I have, I have Cheez-Its now. <laughs> right. It's not going to happen much, but, and obviously he was racing. It was, it was ITTing. So it's not like he could, you know, sit down with me for a couple of hours and explain everything about the trade, but it was, it was great to, to, to meet Shell and, and, and just like, yeah, my first racer ever. But I think that where that's where it all started. You know, it all started with the fact that I couldn't understand what, what was going on with these people doing this. And I wanted to be one of them. And it's 
I haven't really let go of this. Like the first impression that I had of these people being superhumans, I I still like think that somewhere deep inside of me, it's still there because I have so much respect and admiration for Tordivite, former winners, veterans. Like whenever I'm racing and I get a support message from somebody that I knew from 2016 or from a former winner, like I got a message this morning from Josh Cato telling me, you know, good job. I know you wanted this for a long time and you finally did it and I'm happy for you. And I'm like, it's such an honor for me and to be part of this community and to be part of this family. And like when I have people like Hefe Branham that, you know, write me messages or when I, I, I post something on, on, on Instagram and I have Chris Blesco who's like, go, 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 man, it's, uh, it's, uh, I have so much respect for these people. You can't imagine. It's like this race is so special for me that, yeah, it's, it's, it's just an honor It's just an odd, Chris Seistrup wrote me a message this morning and it's like, I'm so proud to be part of these people. I'm like so proud and I'm, I'm still amazed. Like I get, I get messages from Brian Alder of New Zealand who finished uh, fourth in 20, uh, fifth in 2016, over 50 years of age, uh, less than 17 days. When I rode with him, he... He taught me so much. I was a rookie. I was making all the mistakes and I met him and we started chatting and he was like this really wise dude, you know, 50 years old and, and, and wise and strong. And he was like, yeah, but you know, you should have done this, this and this instead of that, that, that and that. And I was all ears and I was like, this is, this is like premium knowledge. And it was, I felt it was such a privilege to get that kind of, uh, that, that kind of, of learn, learning from, from uh, such a, a good racer and also a student of the game. And now when I'm racing, I was racing this year and I was getting messages from Brian. I was like, I felt, I felt so, it felt so good that this guy had an interest in what I was doing, you know? And he could... I mean, in a way, you could think that being what I am right now, which is a successful racer with many wins in the past few years, I would get used to people having an interest in what I'm doing. Sure. But it's like, yeah, for me, Tour Divide and Tour Divide racers, they are so special. And they're, they're still that, that, that lingering part of me that was just like this... 32-year-old rookie of just off-road touring that get just like this big slap across his face when he found out that there were people that were able to do just things that are out of this world. I mean, and, that, and, and the fact that I managed to become one of these people, I'm like, wow. I, Crazy. I wonder if you can keep your humil humility and why it continues to be special because you have to keep earning it. Like, like you keep saying these superhuman efforts, efforts, how hard this is to do. You're not just going out there and riding your bike. I mean, you're, you are 
depleting yourself to the maximum. And through that experience, you're gaining more respect for the people that have come before you. And, and maybe it can allow you to appreciate those messages more because it's not a guarantee. You have to go out there and absolutely get yourself to get to the finish line in first place. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, um, it's a, it's humbling experience. No matter, no matter what you do, no matter the, the finishing uh, ranking that you have, you can be first, third, 10th, 15th. You're going to have good moments and you're going to have bad moments. And it's like, I don't really know a bike pike racer that is not humble. Right. Because the trail will keep you will just keeps humbling you all the time because you're like, I'm going to make it to this point. And the trail is like, huh, we'll see about that. <laughs> and you don't make it. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to ride from Pie Town to the finish, no sleep. And then it starts raining yeah. and you end up in a pit toilet. And you're like, nope, I can't do it. And it's like, I won. But there was, I feel, and every time, every time it's the same, every time I win and I'm like, yeah, I won, but I think I could have done better. And it's because it's, it's so hard and you're, you're, you're just like, all right, I mean, I know this game now. I've been doing this for quite a long time. I know the pitfalls. I, I think I can avoid them. And it's just, it's just impossible to, to have the perfect run, you know? There's always something that you're not going to be super proud of because, I don't know, at some point you, you just kind of were too exhausted and you, and you gave up and instead of, of being, you know, as efficient as you, you wish you'd be for your resupply, then you kind of just phased out and you, you stood there for, you know, five minutes in the gas stations just staring at candy, <laughs> not knowing what's going to happen. And then you realize you were too exhausted and instead of just, you know, resupplying and, in 10 or 15 minutes, you, you, you sit down and you, and you have, you know, a couple of hot dogs and, 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 and you drink like a half a gallon of, of, of Gatorade. And you know that you, should, you shouldn't be doing this. You know that you should be riding your bike because you, you can absolutely ride your bike and eat hot dogs and drink Gatorade at the same time. But it's like at this time you can't, you, you can't, you know, gather the energy necessary to do this just like and you think when you start the race and you're and you're a good racer and you and you and you've done and you've done well in past events and you think all right i know what i'm capable of and i know that i can i can i can i can do the things that i'm supposed to do and i can you know when the when the the alarm goes off after four hours i'm not gonna snooze i'm just gonna get right up and 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 be super efficient and then you know the alarm goes off and and you and you get out of bed like 27 minutes later <laughs> because you, you just fell back asleep and you're like you have this idea of what you can do and you keep falling short because it's just so hard man it's just like such a hard sport and i and i remember you know talking uh to chris plesco when he did his his run in 16 and, and him telling like, I wanted, I wanted to go without sleep for the last night. I wanted it so bad. You know, like just keep going, keep trucking, rich that finish, no sleep. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't because it's just, it's just too hard to fight that sleep monster. And, 
is like you set your goals and you think they're realistic and the trail is like, no, it's not going to happen. And it's like, and I think that's why we're all fairly humble is because we start with a big ego that is like, I'm good. I can do this. I have this. And then the trail is like, nope, you don't. And, and you're like, you still have that ego, but you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good, but I'm not as good as I thought I was. It's probably also why all the other racers and athletes and anyone who does this kind of stuff is so um, excited for you. You know, they, they have that perspective. They know how hard it is. They know how humbling it is. And so they can extend that gratitude. I, I'm curious about this. Is the Tour Divide one of, or is it the hardest thing that a human being can do? I mean, think about all the endurance efforts. Think about all the sports. I, I wonder if Tour Divide or, or these types of races aren't, we're not harvesting the most elite athletes, mentally, physically, logistically. I mean, two weeks on a bike, all these things. It is, it is a interesting and, and, and hard to answer question. Um, I've been racing ultra for six years now. I've, I've done all sorts of format from 48 hours to two weeks. Um, and each format has its, its challenges. Like when you race like a thousand K on road and it's going to be over in like 48, 50, 50 hours, uh, it's, it's mentally extremely taxing because as soon as you lose like a couple of minutes, as soon as like, say you, you're standing in a, in a bakery and there's someone ahead of you and, and they're looking for that, for that change and they can't find it, it, you just get mad because you're like, that clock's a couple ticking. minutes, yeah. a couple of minutes could mean uh, uh, the difference between being second and third. So that clock is like ticking in your mind constantly, which is really hard. And also you have to, push, push, push on the pedals all the time. You can't really let go right. because whereas in a long race like Tour Divide, you can have these moments, especially if you, if you manage to have, uh, um, if you manage to open up a gap, you can have these moments where like for 10 minutes, you just like stop thinking of the race. You're just like, you just like sit down and you're like, all right, 10 minutes is not going to make a difference between you know, being first and second or second and third. Well, maybe in, maybe in 15 it was. <laughs> you know, but what's interesting about that is one of the mental challenges that comes with a long race like this is continually choosing to check in, right? Because you can check out. Yeah. And that's one of the kind of dangerous things about it is that you do have to keep that urgency and choosing to check in and push and not, you know, maybe take advantage of some of those you know, quote unquote opportunities to, to check out. Uh, and then, yeah, Tour Divide is, is compared to other races that, that I've done, like for example, Silk Road or, uh, or uh, Inca Divide, it has more, I would say like three miles where you just, uh, it's just easy. It's just like flat or not, not or good surface. And you just like, pedaling not that hard and you're and you're making you're making good mileage and that's good for that's good for your your uh just your uh you know you feel good about that you you, you watch your computer and you're like and you're like oh yeah in the past couple of hours i've covered 30 miles that's 
that's a good pace. It means that. So that's one of the things that makes Tour Divide maybe not that hard is that you get you get to see these these numbers at the other, at the end of the day that are that are quite big because of all the free miles that you get. But the difficulty of racing for two weeks at least, because two weeks is the fastest. The difficulty is like your body. I mean, it's it's bound to happen that something is going to go wrong with your body at some point, whether it's your butt or your knees or your feet or your hands. I mean, I'm I'm I, I'm 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 a mess right now. I'm a I'm a wreck. I'm like I can't wait to feel good. Yeah. But I know it's going to take like five or six days. And the fact that it lasts for two weeks. So at, basically, after I don't know five or six days, you're a mess. You have so many elements. And you have to keep going. You have to be that mess for another eight or nine days. And that's, that's tough, man. That's really tough. You have to keep... Mentally and physically. Yeah. I mean, at first, you, you, you watch your... You know the chafing? Like, if I, if I look at my thighs now, I, I can see a lot of chafing inside. And at first, like on day two, I looked at it. I was like, oh, yeah, it's not looking good. I hope it's going to get better. And it does not. Obviously, it does not. I mean, if it got bad in two days, it's not going to get good in two weeks. But at some point, you kind of just give up. And you're like, well, that's, that's the way it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to keep going with, the, with this chafing. And, and I'm going to have to keep going with the swollen knees. And, and my ass is a mess. And, and, you know, as I told you yesterday, I spent a couple of days just sitting on my left ass cheek because the right was just unusable at all. And you have to do this. You have to keep that suffering and to, and to be in these places that are just uncomfortable for such a long time, such a long time. And, and I think the length of that race is what makes it really difficult. And I think also, we talk, and we talked about this yesterday, I think also maybe the, the, the main hardship of Tour Divide is just the the sheer length of the sections that you're going to go through and that are going to make you feel that you're not going anywhere. And we were talking about the Bannock Road, for example. And I, I've raced the, the entirety of the course uh, uh, in 16 and half of the course in, in, ni- in 19. So a lot of the sections, uh, they were still in my memory. And I was like, oh, yeah, now I'm in... Um, I'm in uh, Wise River, Montana, so that I know that now it's going to be fully paved until, uh, until the Bannock Road, and then the Bannock Road, and I'm going to go all the way to Lima, and then I'll, I'll soon be in, uh, I'll soon be in uh, Idaho, you know, and, you, and you're making all these projections in your head, and then you hit the Bannock Road, and you're like, all right, now it's the Bannock Road. Well, it takes you nine hours to go through the Bannock Road, <laughs> but in your memory, it does not. In your right. memory, it's just the Bannock Road. Yeah, and it's and you and you're there, and you go up that Medicine Lodge, and it takes forever, and then you start going down, and it takes forever as well. And 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 the basin is the same. It's like you get to Atlantic City, and you're like, all right, now is and actually it was worse because now is a hundred and and hundred miles to Wormsutter and then you're like, yeah, I'm gonna make it to Wormsutter and then it's then it's gonna it's gonna be hell to until Wormsutter and then it's gonna get better. And left Atlantic City, got to Wormsutter, 
and it was hell. And it was actually even worse after Warm Sutter. And it was like, it was an entire day. I mean, we talked about this with JP. JP thinks that the basin is, is, is Atlantic City to Warm Sutter. And I think that it's Atlantic City to Savory. So it used to be Atlantic City to Rollins. There was no debate there. It was, um, it was to, what, what was it, 100 and, uh, 150 miles, something like that. Um, to Warm Sutter, it's 100 miles. So JP thinks that the, the basin is, is shorter now. But for me, after Warm Sutter, it's still the basin because it's, it's still windy. Uh, devoid of trees and just the and just the track is even worse. It's like it's, it sucks out all any power that you put in the pedals. It just sucks it out, and you can't and you can't. It's really hard to make progress. And it's just yeah, the sheer length of these sections. We're like, all right, now it's the basin. Yeah, now it's the basin. I left at three a.m. and I made it to Brush Mountain Lodge at midnight. Right. That was the basin. Right. And that fucks up your mind, man, because you feel like you're in not your mind. You're like, I'm progress. just doing a section, but that yeah. section just goes on, on and, and on and, and on and on. It's like, and that's when I did the 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 French Divide in um, 2020. I had a ton of fun, and I thought it was easy. The writing is slower, actually, because it's more it's more technical. There's more single track. There's not as many free miles. But you're constantly changing the surface. I mean, you're in and out of a forest, and then you're into that village, and and I mean, you you, you also can witness the the change of uh, of just the um, France is very diverse. It's much more diverse in terms of of of, of culture and architecture. It's much more diverse than, than the United States, obviously. Um, and you can witness these these changes, you know, day by day, and the riding is is always kind of different. You're like you're like mountain biking in the in the Belgian Ardennes at some point, and then you get like a completely different kind of of, of riding uh, outside of of Charleville-Mézières in, in, in eastern France, and then you get into these uh, these uh, vineyards in Burgundy, and uh, and you feel like you're making progress, you know. Because things are changing, the writing is not the same. The, the villages, the culture. Mentally, you're stimulated. Yeah, you're getting. Yeah. yeah. Whereas here, pretty much the time where it's going to be different is 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 yeah when you reach south of New Mexico. <laughs> but before that, you can be. I mean, what you see in uh, what you see in Colorado, you could see in Montana. What you see in Montana, you could see in northern New Mexico and Wyoming and. I mean, it's just it's just harder to kind of witness the progress that you made, and 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 this like the general writing is um, always kind of the same, you know. And and at some point you, you're like, I can't believe I am still on one of these wide straight line gravel road, and you you do like so much of these. And it's so so repetitive and monotonous, and you're like, yeah, I, I I need, I feel like I need a change, either a change of scenery or just a change of, of of riding style. Maybe I could get a bit of single track now. No, you can't. <laughs> you're just gonna have to, you know, keep riding on that gravel road. And if you're if you're lucky, it's gonna be nicely surfaced. And if you're not, it's just gonna be shit and washboarded. And I think that's the that's the the main difficulty 
I mean, mentally at least, main difficulty about the Tour Divide is that a lot of times you don't feel like you're making any progress. All right. It's past your nap time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm going to ask you one final question. Yeah. How does it feel to be the 2022 Tour Divide winner? Honestly, I have no idea. Come on, man. I, I, don't, I don't even know, man. Happy to be done, relieved, excited? I don't... Yesterday, a buddy of mine sent me a message, and he said, good job, man. You just won Tour Divide. And I, and I read this. I was like, wow, that's crazy. I, I won Tour Divide? <laughs> and I, it's going to take me a few days. It's not... I can't really process it right now. I, I don't know if you remember this, but after last night when we got back to um, this bike ranch here, I mean, we got back at like 2.30 or 3 in the morning. Yeah. It's relatively late. Yeah. You're obviously tired. And we were just sitting in these chairs like we are right now. And mostly to yourself, you just kind of rocked your head and just said, I just fucking won Tour Divide. Like you were yeah. kind of, like, like for a second it was sinking in. But I can imagine this has been an eight-year journey. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's just, just over. It's I think just it's done. just really hard to, to get to the end of an eight year journey in just a few hours, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to take, it's going to take some time, but like, and also what I was, what I was telling you is the finish of this tour divide is, is, it's pretty much like the finish of, of, you know, the 2016 Tour Divide where I finished third in a joint third position was Kevin Jacobson. And so the fact that it's kind of the same, I, I, it, it makes it harder to realize that it's, that it's different, you know? Because right. I just have, you know, memories of being here with, with KJ and, and then Brian showed up and then... Stefan Mertens of Belgium showed up as well. And, and I just have, you know, you know, good memories of good times here, of just having, having finished Tour Divide. And, and for me, that's what it feels like. like it feels like I, I finished Tour Divide. It doesn't feel like I won Tour Divide. And I, I'm, I'm really having a hard, hard time wrapping my mind around the fact that this eight-year journey has come to an end. I could see it being almost sad, I could see it being exciting, you know, because you've had this carrot and you've been pursuing it for eight years. You've now accomplished it. And so that's going to leave room open in your mind and your heart, your spirit to maybe focus on some other things, which, which could be sad or it could be exciting. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's definitely not sad right now, but it's like, oftentimes I think people imagine that Racing is so hard and winning is so important that when it happens, it's, it's like such a relief. But what I've expressed in the past is that oftentimes the strongest feeling that I have is just the relief of not having failed is, is like more, maybe more important or, or prevalent than the, the joy of having succeeded, you know, it's like, Failing seems so traumatizing to me that the relief of not failing is like, wow, it's a good thing I, 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 I came and I did it, you know. <laughs> but then 
when I revisit the memories, that's when it kind of sinks in. And I'm like, and then, and then it's, it's a different, it's a different kind of joy. You know, it's like, like this peaceful joy when I, for example, I remember the, the Atlas mountain race. Like I watched pictures and I'm like, that was a good, that was a good run. That, that was a good victory. And I'm, and it, actually what happened is like kind of the same as with the Atlas mountain race where I had this really, really intense joy, but it lasts for maybe a few seconds, you know, I was, I was sprinting. I was literally sprinting for the last, you know, 200 yards and I could hear the bell and I could see that border and I could feel that just overwhelming joy of having done it, you know, and it was incredible, man. It was, it was just, it was just the best feeling, but it's, it's just a few seconds. It's just a few seconds of your life. And, but then you revisit it and you're like, wow, yeah, I remember that. I remember. So mostly you're just happy to not be traumatized by your failure at this point. Like you don't have to it's, sit here and think about what you didn't accomplish. It's a, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a complex feeling. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm happy that I get to uh, uh, put 2019 behind me. You know, the last time I was here was a failure. That's also why I was really nervous coming back uh, because I didn't have many failures in my in my ultra cycling career. And I mean, it takes a lot to 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 start talking about a curse. You know, when you like say if you try a race five times and five times you have to drop out. That's kind of a curse. Whereas I tried it like twice and once I finished third and once I dropped out. So, but. And when you dropped out, you were leading the race too. So yeah, it, yeah. And, and you I were chose, beating Michael yeah, Scott. Yeah, I and actually there chose, was a, there was a lot you could pull from. from. Yeah, you could, yeah. yeah you, you, there's a lot you could pull from and, and, and that were successful. But overall, it, it was a failure. But yeah, and, it, and it's like, it's the only race that I dropped out of. So coming back, I was like, Rationally, I was telling myself, sure, I dropped out, but I could have kept going. It was just my choice. So, and I already, already finished it once. And since then, and before that, I have finished all of my races. I have managed to stay clear of mechanicals, injuries, illness. I am someone who finishes races. I'm not, I shouldn't be this nervous, but... For the entire first half of the race, I was just like in such a such a hurry to get to Brush Mountain and then past that pass where I had dropped that and just like be like, all right, this chapter is over. The chapter of not finishing the race. Now we we're opening a new chapter. Now it's a new history. Now it's it's about not only finishing but winning. And it was kind of silly, but I was, I was afraid, completely irrationally afraid that there was a curse on this race for me, that I had managed to, to win uh, pretty much all of the off-road race that I had taken part, in, taken part in, and this one I had not managed. And I was like, why is that so? I, is, it, is it cursed? You know? And I had this you know, fear, and I, 
and I wanted, and this is also why I wanted to get past that point and I want to get it over with. And I mean, the listeners are not aware of this here, but there was a, a, a couple of German guys that were actually uh, filming the, the, the race for their, themselves, for actually. Fun. Yeah. Just documenting the, the, the entire field. Yeah. Not focusing on, on, uh, on anyone in, in particular. And they were at the start in Banff. And they asked me, what is it that you are looking for the most? And I like instantly answered, getting to that border. Getting to that border. Because the nervousness prior to the race was just like, why wasn't I able to finish this? Is there a curse or not? And I just wanted... Yeah, I just wanted to it to be out of the way and be like, you can win any race in the world, and you can, and by any race, it means even Tour Divide. Ian, sixteen, no, fourteen days, sixteen hours, and thirty six minutes. That is a fucking fast time for the conditions that we had this year. Yeah, and and. I mean, my call was right under 14 days with good conditions. Yeah, I mean, not that the record was out there or anything, but but it's worth noting that the effort, I mean, I know because I was sitting at home dot watching. I was reading this stuff on the internet and we're, we're thinking about you the way you're thinking about all these other athletes. Who is a superhuman? You know, who is this not human alien species that has come to bike pack racing and, and can push it, uh, through really tough efforts and, and maintain that kind of pace. Hell of a run, man. Yeah. And we were, we were talking about this, uh, uh, yesterday about, you know, records and, um, I, I, as a fan of the sport and a fan of sports in general, I, I do get and I do understand um, how spectators are interested in, in, in records because when you witness a record, you're not just witnessing a sport event, you're witnessing history being made. And I mean, when I watch track and field, like at the Olympic Games and I see, I mean, I have, I have like memories of of uh, David Rudisha, who just shattered the the record of the 800 meters in just a spectacular fashion, and I was in front of my TV, and I was like, "Man, that is absolutely amazing!" And I have similar memories of um, the South African dude who did it with the with the Mike, Michael Johnson's record on the 400 meters, and I remember watching this race, I was like. How fast is this dude going? That is absolutely crazy. Michael Johnson's record from 1996 that we thought was unbeatable. And this dude, I think it was Joe Von Nieker. I, I don't even remember his name. That's, that's, that's a shame. I thought Usain Bolt won everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of sprint, actually. Oh, it's an, it's oh just, that's it's a just, longer one. That's 400 meters. It's just too fast. But yeah, 400, 800, and I mean, for me, the best, the best of all, all the track and field distance is the 1,500 meters. That is like the pinnacle. That is like the perfect length. And yeah, when I watch this, I mean, I'm in front of my TV, and then I get up, and then I'm like cheering, and I'm like, wow. 
I've my mind blown away. So I do understand the appeal of of you know records and why it's important for for dot watchers and obviously if i had had the chance of challenging that record and beating that record i've been i would have been really happy about this for sure but i think that it's probably actually more important for uh, um for the fans of the sport than than for the the actual racers because what you what we will remember as racers is that oh yeah so you did in in 22 man that was a bad year yeah. how long how long did it take you to finish and you're like 14 and a half days like wow that was fast yeah and it's like i remember that in um 15 So 15 was probably one of the most amazing Tour Divide finish ever where you had Josh Cato, Jay Peter Vary, Neil Belchenko. They were like together. They finished like uh, not even a, a, an hour apart from yeah, each other. Like, that was like a crazy podium. And Josh Cato got in, interviewed afterwards and they, they talked to him. And at that time, he finished in 14 and a half days, which was a new record. And they asked him about this record. They were like, that was that was a, a real, very impressive run that you pulled that you pulled off, Josh. And it's like, that was a good year, man. That was like perfect conditions mm -hmm. from start to finish. But is my is my record as impressive as Heffer Branham's run in in I think it was 14, where the conditions were absolutely horrendous. And he just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and walking through mud for hours and hours. I mean, I, I'd wager that, you know, Hefe's performance is actually more impressive than me finishing in 14 and a half days in, in, uh, in perfect conditions. And I also, uh, a couple of years ago, I, one of the races that I love to dot watch is the Highland Trail 550. Yeah. Uh, because it's so gnarly and it's so beautiful. And um, a couple of years ago, a guy from Alaska called uh, Dustin Hero uh, won, the, won the race in just like the worst weather that you can imagine. Like it rained for four days straight. Like maybe there was like, I don't know, four or five hours in the last day where it was not raining. But you could see... You could see racers dropping like flies. You could see like they were, I, ha I had a buddy on the course. He was like, I'm not doing this. I mean, I'm going to drown. I mean, the river crossings, they, I have never seen them like this. Yeah. I am, I am, I'm, it's too dangerous. I'm going to die out there. And yeah, people were just like dropping out and he was, and he kept trucking and going and going and going until he won. And then I remember talking with Neil Belchenko about this and to tease him, I was like, so what's, what's more impressive your record? Because Neil Belchenko has the record on the Howland Schultz 550. He had it, right? He has it. No, he still I, has it. I thought the, uh, the guy interviewed, um, the single speed guy in 2021 took, no. Oh, maybe he just set the single speed. Yeah. Yeah. The overall, overall fastest time. On, on, I think you're right. I got that wrong. He yeah. got the single speed. I can't remember that guy's, I feel so bad right now. Ah, anyway. Liam, Liam, Glenn. Liam. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 yeah Liam in 2021, Glenn. he won on a single speed. Yeah. Yeah. So this year, uh, was, uh, you Oliver 
very impressive time. The, the trail conditions was horrendous as well, really wet. It was not not that much water falling from the sky, but just like a lot of water on the ground. Um, and that's, yeah, you Oliver took it. And last year was uh, uh, Liam Glenn. And a couple of years ago, yeah, was was Dustin. And yeah, asked Neil Belcheco, so what's more impressive? Your record or, or that ride, that win? Yeah. And it was like, man, it's not, it's not even a question. I mean, I had... I had sun for, for three and a half days. Right. So, I mean, and I mean, hats off to, to, to Neil, but oh, I mean, I'm, sure. not, I'm not even, I mean, we're all, as I told you, it's a humbling sport. Yeah. And, and it's a sport where we respect. What you're saying is, you, and fans of the sport, people who understand the sport, they're going to look at each year almost as a, as a different thing because the weather was different. You, it's it's difficult to re- compare like a 2016 perfect run to a 2022 um, with with harder harder weather conditions and stuff. It is. Yeah. It really is. And and like, it's not track and field. You right. know, you don't get a perfect. Yeah. You know, every, it's you know. not. And that's what I like about it, though, is that there you're, this experience. It doesn't every single year you do it. It's going to be different. You know, the weather's going to be different. It's going to be a different route in, in terms of the surface condition is going to be different. I mean, it's always going to change. Yeah, and a record is, a record is is a great achievement for sure, but it's not only up to you. Right. It's not like you're going to show up and you're so fast that you're guaranteed to beat the record. You know, it speaks like, to the humility again, right? Because yeah. You can only control so much. You can train so much. You can be ready, but you got to be humble enough to to know that you don't have all the control, and and you you can only do your best. Yeah, and I mean, and I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I, I and it's great that you did uh, actually an episode with Liam when he when he won the Allen Trail because what a performance, man! Yeah, that was great. Fully rigid single speed steel bike. What it was is he got the new single speed FKT, but he was the overall winner that year on the single speed, which made it doubly cool. But also awesome guy too. I love. Yeah, I mean, it's, really it's like I've never, I've never heard of Liam before. Yeah. And then he goes and wins on a single speed rigid, and you get a chance to talk to him. And I love this sport, man. I mean, yeah. For me, if you look back at at last year's, that was kind of the most amazing performance that anyone pulled off on the backpacking circuit. Just showing on up Highland? on the uh, yeah, Liam Glenn's win on the Allen Trail 550. It was like, dude shows up on a full, I mean, this is a race. I mean, I, I know a lot of people that have done it and they're like, bring your full suspension. Yeah, full suspension 29er. Yeah. yeah. And the guy, fully rigid steel bike, single speed, crushes it in horrendous conditions. Yeah. That's like, a great episode if I may recommend it myself. Oh, I People's- recommend it definitely. And you, you, you're you going to be hard-pressed to find anyone as humble as Liam, uh, uh, such a great athlete and inspiring person. Definitely, if you if you have a chance, listen to that podcast. It was I had a great time listening to it. Sofian, you want to take a nap? I want badly. I badly want to take a nap, <laughs> even though I had a lot of coffee. I think now it's time to sleep. You're also, it's getting hot here in New Mexico. It is. It is. Well, congratulations, my friend. I'm happy for you. Thanks, Patrick. Put Thanks on a hell of a show this year as a fan of the sport. A lot of us were rooting for you and excited to watch you get out there and, uh, and man, get the monkey off your back. You you don't have to yeah. come back. You, yeah, you can, you I can don't check have it off. to. That'll be thanks, to you. thanks, everyone. I mean, everyone that came out on the trail and cheered. I appreciate it so much. 
uh, I try to make a little bit of time to say hi, to say thanks. Sometimes if I'm going down a hill, I'm sorry, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> On my hills, advice, you're, you're, yeah, yeah, my advice to you is like, if you want to spend a little bit of time with me, just, just you know, get at the top of a really steep hill. And then we have a little, bit, a little bit of time to chat. Thanks everyone who came out on the trails. Thanks everyone who sent messages. Anyone who supported me, cheered. Uh, thank you so much, guys. It means a lot. I mean, it makes it makes it makes the thing very very special. And I mean, I know I'm I'm out there alone by myself all the time, but you know, sometimes just thinking of people watching the dots. I'm like, wow, that's cool. I'm not, I'm not actually that alone. Even though, actually, uh, I, I think of people watching the dots when I'm not going that fast. <laughs> I'm like, when I'm slowing down and uh, you know, I'm, I'm faffing around with my gear too much, and I'm, and I'm, you know, not covering much ground in a couple of hours. I'm like thinking of the dot watchers and be like, yeah, that means be wondering what, what's going on now. I better get going. <laughs> I yeah, get faster. Yeah, that pressure. They know they're watching. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was fast. Congrats, buddy. Thanks, man. Fucking did it. Yeah, I did. All right, go take your nap. All right. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. And thanks again to Sofian uh, for what I thought was an excellent chat. And uh, we had about a 45-minute window for that chat before he wanted to take a nap. But he was feeling chatty. And so that was nice to be able to... Uh, to dig into some more Tour Divide talk with Sofian. He didn't really have a good answer for the question I posed last, which was essentially, how does it feel to finally win the Tour Divide? And he kind of fumbled around the answer, still searching for it. And then the next day, he made a post on Instagram. And if it's okay with you, and you don't really have a choice, I'm going to read it because I think it answers the question that I was asking. So it says, eight years ago, I was sitting in a restaurant in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, talking with fellow Great Divide tour, Bruno Van Wildroad. I had met him the same morning at Brush Mountain Lodge. We were chatting about the Tour Divide and I told him, I wanna race it, I think I can win it. He answered something like, you're crazy, it's impossible, which is what any rational person would think if someone with absolutely no racing experience whatsoever were to tell them they want to win the hardest bike race in the world. But I'm a stubborn individual, and when I set my mind to something, I just won't let it go. Over the course of several years, I transformed from a tour to racer, learning on the job, making all the mistakes. The ability was out there, but the experience was not. I took my time, had to persevere against adverse luck, but I finally became a successful bikepack racer. I gathered important wins on some of the most brutal courses of the bikepacking circuit. I seemed to be able to find success anywhere except on Tour Divide. I tried it again in 2019, but the biggest June snowstorm in the history of Colorado derailed my plans. I could have let it go. I could have told myself, you have nothing to prove. You've shown you belong to the elite of the sport. You don't need that win. It's not going to change anything for you. But I had made that promise to 32-year-old me, 2014 me, who had the hardest time possible touring the divide. I had promised him I would become so strong that one day I would actually be the fastest from Banff to Antelope Wells. 
Knowing I had what it takes was not enough. I had to actually do it, and so I did. Not to show the world, not to prove doubters wrong, just to keep a promise I made to myself, because these are the most important. Wise words from Sophion. I would like to echo that, to always keep the promises that you make to yourself. And I'd like to extend a heartfelt congratulations to Sophion and an appreciation for him, not only as an elite athlete, but as an elite human being and an example to countless people around the world who are watching him and supporting him and rooting for him and appreciating him just as much as I do. So, dear friends, dear listeners, take a page out of my friend Sofian's book and don't forget to ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. they made kept you afraid in the morning you packed your bike memories forgotten from the previous night you rode faster than ever before was it your imagination or merely folklore fear turned into strength as you pushed further every pedal stroke stronger and firmer your bike your legs aren't tired you think to yourself just a few more miles bikes oh death bikes oh death